The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel to those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to Children's Church, please join our volunteers in the back by the Children's Church sign. If it is your child's first time in Children's Church, please go with them so that we can get them checked in. Well, good morning. My name is Mark. I'm on staff here. Uh, and just to echo what Mitch said earlier, uh, a cry for help for nursery workers 
You guys want to hear a ridiculous stat about this church? I heard this at staff meeting Monday. You really won't believe it. So that just this year, a baby is born at this church every 10 days. <laughs> I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. So please help. Uh, you could have a hand in kind of fostering these children's love for the church and for God. And it's, it's not easy, but you don't have to be that talented to do it. You just got to be with them and love those kids well. So please do that. Uh, we started a new sermon series on the book of Acts last week. So if you missed that, I'd encourage you to go check it out because it kind of lays the groundwork for where we're going to be in the fall. And the book of Acts picks up right after the gospel accounts. So Jesus has just risen from the dead. He ascends into heaven and he sends the Holy Spirit to empower all of his people, not just the super Christians, but everyone who follows Jesus gets the Holy Spirit. And he sends them out on a mission to go bear witness uh, to the good news of the gospel. Um, and so if, for some, if someone were coming up to ask you, hey, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about his life and his ministry in just a few words. Uh, I wonder what you'd say. Maybe you talk about who Jesus is. Right? He's, he's God himself become human. He's fully God, fully man. God the Son come in the flesh. Uh, maybe you talk about the love and compassion that Jesus has. Maybe you talk about the way he taught. Right, simply, clearly, and yet with authority. Maybe you talk about uh, kind of who Jesus is, right? Maybe about his miracles, his power over creation. Maybe about his tenderness and his care towards the outsider and children, kind of people who have no social capital. There's really no right answer. It's not like a trick question, because I don't really like starting with those. Those will come later. Uh, I've been on cold medicine all week, so prepare for yourselves for whatever is to come. But the end goal of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension is to one day make all things new. His mission is nothing less than the total restoration of all creation. And what I want to pitch at you this morning is that just as Jesus brings his restorative power to creation, so are we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to bring restoration, both with our words and with our actions. Put another way, the church's mission is to imitate Christ. Uh, just as Jesus seeks to make all things new, so are we who have been given the Holy Spirit to make all things new in Christ. Uh, and the passage that was just read for us, it's a paradigm of this, right? For those who follow Jesus using their words and their actions to bring restoration and healing. So with that, let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. And we thank you that you give it to us because you love us and you want us to know you. And so would you help us to see you clearly in this? Help us to see ourselves clearly. Help us to see the power that is inside of us with the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to see a lot of miracles as we make our way through the book of Acts. But it's important to pay particular attention to this one because this is the first miracle that the apostles do. And the word apostles, um, so they were disciples. It's the same guys. They were disciples when they were with Jesus. That means they were learners. They were being disciplined under him. And now they're apostles. It comes from that Greek word apostello, to send out. Right? It's where we get the word postal service. If you want to impress your friends over lunch today. But they're, they're, they're no longer the kind of learners. They are being sent out. If you look back at verse 1, uh, it tells us that Peter and John were going up to the temple at what was known as the hour of prayer. These are men who have spent the last three years being with Jesus, being taught by him. Peter and John and the rest of those who put their hope into Jesus, they have just received the Holy Spirit. They're on a mission to bear the witness to the truth of the gospel. And as they're walking up to the temple, uh, they hear somebody call out to them asking for money. 
Now, the text doesn't say it specifically, but I'm willing to bet that Peter and John were at least vaguely aware of this guy because being the good Jewish men that they were, they would go to the temple a lot, at least every Sunday or at least every Saturday and probably several times throughout the week for prayer. In verse 2, it says this man has been able to, un- to walk since the day he was born. So every day somebody carried him and put him at the gate. They would have known this guy. The man's entire existence is one of being acutely aware that not only was he unable to go wherever he wanted, but he had to beg for his daily bread just to survive. He was completely 100% dependent on the kindness of other people. And you can tell, and we see this in our city as well, that this man carries so much shame of it. uh, And he's probably used to people just ignoring him that he isn't even able to make eye contact with the apostles. He calls out to Peter and John for money, and yet when they stop and interact with them, uh, Peter has to say to them in verse 4, he says, Hey, look look at us. Look us in the eye. We said earlier that this story is a paradigm for the Christian life. For Peter and John, they've been given the spirit to go out into the world, sharing the good news of Jesus' love and forgiveness offered to all who believe. That's what the church is called to do. That's why this church was planted right? To be an outpost of God's kingdom in the south side, not only to encourage and equip those who already believe in Jesus, but to send out people to go and share that good news so that others might believe. And as a church, as a group of men and women who follow Jesus, how do we live out this mission? Well, first we have to actually go out into the community and actually get to know people, right? And secondly, we have to know the actual needs of the community as opposed to what we think are the needs, Have you had experience with that? A lot of damage can be done by a church moving and kind of fixing what they think needs to be fixed when it doesn't actually need to be fixed. Um, Look back at verse 4. It says, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Peter is in the community. He actually sees the needs and he interacts with people. And so when he does, he sees what their needs are. And for this man, Peter sees his need of physical healing. Uh, He sees the need for money, financial help, so he doesn't have to beg for money. Peter sees this man's social needs, right? For his entire life, he has been sat outside this gate because whoever was carrying him around thought that that was probably the best place, right? I don't know. Maybe people inside got mad at him for asking money. Maybe it's just a good place to catch people on the inside and outside and people kind of walking past the gate. Uh, I don't know. But either way, this man is used to being on the outside from a social standpoint of view. Peter's gazing at this man. He sees his physical poverty, his social poverty, his spiritual poverty. He's a man who's so broken and ashamed, he can't even look Peter in the face. Have you been there? Have you carried that guilt and shame to where you just can't even make eye contact with some people? If you're familiar with Peter, you know that just a few weeks earlier, Peter was on the receiving end of one of these piercing gazes. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. He had seen Jesus do incredible things. And yet, as he was betrayed and sentenced to execution, the crowd looks at Peter and says, Hey, don't you know Jesus? Aren't you one of his buddies? Didn't you hang around with him? And what does Peter do? Flat out denies it three times. He says, I have no idea who this guy is. I don't know him. Talk about shame and feeling helpless, just denying your best friend, someone you know to be the Lord and Christ, in a very public, shameful way. Three days later, after Jesus rises from the dead, he comes and he talks to Peter And he fixes his gaze on him. And he asks him the same question three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? And again, Peter answers back every time, yes, you know I love you. I love you. I love you. 
It's almost as if Jesus knew that Peter needed to hear himself say it out loud, that he still loves Jesus. Jesus saw and met the needs of people. The apostles are seeing and meeting the needs of people. And so as a church, we are to see and meet the needs of people as well. Look back at verse 6. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter sees the need and he meets that need in faith. He doesn't just say, well, I'll pray for you. He does what he can. And yes, this is a very specific time in history where God seemed to be doing miracles left and right to kind of authenticate this gospel message they were giving. Right? God used miracles to authenticate the message as, opposed, and as well as the messengers. But Peter does what he can to bring restoration. The man is restored physically. He gets up and walks. Uh, he is restored financially. He can go get a job now. He's not just stuck in one place. Uh, the man is restored socially, right? He goes, immediately goes inside the temple to where the rest of his community is. And this man is restored, most importantly, spiritually. What does he do immediately after he's healed? He starts praising God, right? I love how verse 6, 8 puts it. Um, this is for all you English people, or just if you speak English. Uh, look at all the verbs that's in this passage. It says, and leaping up, he stood and he began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. It's a, it's a recurring message in the Bible that the people who are most receptive to the gospel are the people who have the least. The, the good news that by faith in his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus is making all things new. He's bringing into you this kingdom. The people who are most apt to receive that are the people who know that they bring nothing to the table and they can't buy it, they can't earn it. It's often the polished, accomplished people who have an abundance of wealth and abundance of social capital who have a really hard time getting this and coming alongside it. This man sitting at the beautiful gate, he had no illusions of how helpless he was. He's been asking people to help him for years, and so he's completely aware that help and salvation has to come from outside of him. It's not something that he's going to muster up on his own. And for you and me today, this is still the first step in following Jesus, right? As gifted and put together and driven as you may be, you will remain spiritually bankrupt until you hear what Jesus is saying to you. And Jesus is saying to you the same thing that Peter says to this man. Look at me. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Right? And even though you, think, you might think your biggest need is money or a romantic relationship or a better job, or just surviving college or high school. Those are all important, but they don't compare to your need to be forgiven for your sins, all right? The beauty of the gospel is that when you turn to Jesus, not only are you justified, it's a Bible term meaning, meaning you are declared righteous in God's eyes. Not only are you justified, but you are given the Holy Spirit. You are given life where you once were dead. And so as a church, as we try to meet the needs of our community, we need to have two things in mind. One, as we said earlier, we need to know the actual needs of our community, not just the perceived needs, what we think needs to be changed and fixed. We need to know our community well enough to know what it needs. And secondly, we're not doing our job of a church if we are not also offering words of life and gospel truth, right? Have you ever noticed that in our passage and in most passages talking about miracles, it kind of just mentions the miracle and then goes on to talk about the greater reality or the greater spiritual reality, right? Jesus feeds 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and fish, and he doesn't keep harping like, hey, look what I did. Isn't this awesome? No, he says, this is great. You guys are going to be hungry tomorrow. 
I'm the bread of life. Right? He uses the mirror to kind of get everybody's attention and says, and I'm the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Miracles are incredible, but they always point to the greater reality. Right? This, man, this man being miraculously healed, and not only points to the spiritual healing that he has just received, but it points to the ultimate healing that Jesus will bring to all of creation. I want you to think of miracles as like movie trailers. They're great, but they're just a little glimpse of the, of the real thing to come. So how do we do this? How do we share the good news about Jesus? Well, let's look at the second half of our passage to see how Peter does it. This is a great example of what the Bible means when it says you need to speak the truth in love. Right? Peter is so direct here in confronting the people's sin and in proclaiming salvation. It's like this one-two punch of here's the bad news and here's the good news. Look back, starting at verse 12. As men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. You see what Peter's saying here. He's looking at this group of Jewish men who had just a few weeks earlier cried out for Jesus' blood. He's saying the God you claim to worship and the, and the Messiah that you claim to be looking for, God sent him. And he's saying even after the pagan governor Pilate said, yeah, I find nothing wrong with this man, he says you still forced him to murder him. He says in verse 15, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. He's not pulling any punches here, is he? He's saying, you took a murderer and you gave him life and you took the author of life and you murdered him. And again, Peter's just imitating Jesus here. Peter looked at the man at the gate and he saw his need. And in the same way, he's looking at the crowd in the temple and he sees their need as well. And their need, even though they can't see it yet, is the same need of every man and woman. They need to be forgiven of their sin. They need a restored relationship with God. Just think about this for a second. These people are so amazed that this man who had been begging at the gate for years, he's been healed on the spot. Now he's jumping up and down. He's leaping. He's praising God. They're rightfully blown away by this. And Peter looks at him. He says, yes, this is amazing. But you know what else is also unbelievable? The source of this power, the author of life itself, was nailed to a cross a few weeks ago. And he says, and you put him there. He says in verse 16, and his name by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter's drawing a parallel here between the Jews and the poor crippled man who had been sitting at the gate his whole life. And he says that it's by faith in Jesus that this man has been healed. This man has nothing. And yet when he puts his faith in Jesus, he has received everything. What was impossible for men to do to heal that man, God has done with a word. And yet, even as Peter's revealing their sin, he's gracious to them, isn't he? He says in verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. And for someone starting to feel the weight of their sin, can you imagine how comforting those words would be? Like, I know you acted in ignorance. I mean, there, there's kindness in his confrontation. And so after delivering the bad news of their sin, Peter immediately gives the good news. And this is so good. Look back at verse 19. It says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, 
and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. God's grace and his forgiveness extends even to those who put him on a cross a few weeks earlier. It's beautiful. To those who spit on and mocked the author of life, God remains patient and kind and full of mercy. And so if you're here this morning and you feel like you've just gone way too far for Jesus to ever forgive you, or you feel like you've done that thing too many times, please take hope in this. Please take comfort in what he's doing. Jesus did not come die on a cross so that like the B plus A minus students could kind of be bumped up, right? Jesus came to live for you and to die for you and to rise again and defeat death for you so that all your sins could be blotted out, so that any stain on your record could be obliterated, so that by faith in Jesus, you could be clothed in his righteousness. You are given a perfect standing before God by faith. And if anyone knows what it's like to disappoint Jesus, it's Peter. Uh, the man blew it, right? After his resurrection, Jesus singles Peter out. He forgives him, and then he gives him a job to bear witness to the forgiveness and grace that Jesus offers everyone who comes to him. Peter's just passing on what he's already received. So church, if you, if you know what has truly been done to you by God, you know what has truly been given to you, the grace and the mercy, how patient he is towards you, if you've even begun to scratch the surface of what it means for the blood of Jesus to wash away your sin, we have to tell people about this. Right? We've got to speak the truth in love, confronting sin and proclaiming salvation. We've got to know the needs of our community, not just the spiritual needs and not just the physical needs, but both of them together. And you do this knowing that you already have everything you need in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this good news. Uh, it is so much better than we could expect or sometimes even believe. But would you help us to live in light of it? Not trying to earn your favor or earn your grace, but knowing that you have already poured it out freely on us. Father, would you help us to love our community well? Not just content with getting our own lives in order, uh, but sharing the truth with others sharing our materials with others. Help people to look at this church uh, and to know that it is a vital part of Chattanooga and the rest of the world. Lord, we pray for patience with ourselves and patience with our friends and family and those around us. How would you live in us as we know you do in the Holy Spirit? We ask this in Jesus to know that it is a vital part of Chattanooga and the rest of the world. Lord, we pray for Patience with ourselves and patience with our friends and family and those around us. How would you live in us as we know you do in the Holy Spirit? We ask this in Jesus' name.